Jesus Christ. Amen. At uh, this time, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me um, as we hear the word of the Lord read together. And I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Now, please be seated. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to understand uh, your word, uh, that you would uh, speak clearly to us, that you would help us to bring to you the things that may be distracting our minds and hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that as we consider these words of Paul, uh, that our hearts would be corrected, that they'd be instructed, that they'd be encouraged. And Father, we thank you that as we hear Paul's concern for this church in Ephesus, we hear your concern for your church in the world. In the name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning... Uh, we are continuing our study of the book of Acts, and we are looking at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 
uh, through verse 38, uh, which I just read for us. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've heard a summary of Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. Uh, In Acts chapter 19, uh, we learn that Paul has spent roughly three years ministering in the city of Ephesus. And and during that time, Paul has proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's done this. He's proclaimed the gospel to the Jews of the city. He's proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles in the city. And he's done this both publicly and privately. And after several years of successful ministry in Ephesus, uh, especially among the Gentiles, uh, Paul begins to feel the Holy Spirit leading him to return to Jerusalem. Uh, But before Paul leaves Ephesus, his successful ministry to the Gentiles leads to a citywide riot uh, when the makers of silver shrines for the goddess Artemis, um, they lead a mob against the Christians. And they do this in response to the lost prophet uh, for themselves and what they see is lost prestige for Artemis as Paul wins believers to the Lord Jesus and away from these false gods. Well, this riot goes on for hours until the riot is finally quelled by the town clerk. And in chapter 20, uh, last week, Dave read for us all the different places Paul goes. Paul leaves Ephesus. Uh, he heads to Macedonia. He heads to Greece. And he kind of goes on a little uh, farewell tour, uh, encouraging the churches uh, that have been started there. And of course, while he's supporting and encouraging the churches in that region, the Jews in the area once again cause trouble for him. Uh, but in spite of this, Paul can, he finishes up his trip through Macedonia, he finishes his trip through Greece, and he stops at a town called Miletus um, that's on the coast. It's about 30 miles from Ephesus, and he stops just a few days before he's going to begin his journey to Jerusalem. And as Paul is waiting for his ship to come, uh, he takes time to prepare the Ephesian church for his departure Uh, By reflecting on his personal example of ministry among them, by uh, reflecting on his reasons for leaving and going to Jerusalem, and he also provides them with final words of instruction. And so in our passage today, Paul takes time to prepare the Ephesian church for his departure. And this idea of preparing for departure is one that we're familiar with. Uh, Whether we're talking about preparing to move to a new home, uh, preparing to go to work in the morning, or preparing to go on a vacation... You know, we all know that there's a process to preparing to depart. And kind of depending on the type of trip you're taking and depending on the kind of person you are, uh, it may be a short process, it may be a long process. Uh, Anytime Amanda and I uh, leave our kids with our family overnight, uh, one of us, uh, it's usually not me because my handwriting's not legible, but one of us uh, ends up spending like 30 minutes just kind of writing out all the kids' schedules, Uh, Meal preferences, bedtimes, emergency numbers, instructions about toothbrushing routines, uh, you know, just anything that we think is necessary for our parents to wrangle three children, and our parents promptly ignore the list. Um, (laughs) Some of you in here know what what that's like uh, from both sides. Um, But when we're leaving, we prepare. We prepare to depart. Uh, Whenever people know that a departure is approaching, we begin rehearsing for that departure. Yeah, when we rehearse for something, we're preparing kind of beforehand. Uh, We're getting ready for something. We're walking through the steps. You know, what do we need to bring? What do we need to do? Who do we need to call to make sure the dog is fed, that the plants are watered? You know, we begin rehearsing the steps of leaving in our mind. Uh, We spend hours or days or some very detailed people spend weeks and months, right, Uh, preparing for their upcoming departure. Well, in our passage this morning, that's what we find Paul doing. Paul is preparing the Ephesian church for his departure as he begins his journey to Jerusalem. And he's doing this because he knows the challenges that they'll face in his absence. 
You know, the church in Ephesus will face serious threats to their health, to their survival once he leaves. And these threats are going to come from outside of the church, uh, but they're also going to come from inside of the church. And so Paul, who has spent several years preaching and teaching and fellowshipping with these young believers in Ephesus, as he gets ready to leave, he wants to help them prepare. And the question is, uh, will the church in Ephesus survive? Will it survive the departure of Paul? You know, what's going to happen to this church after Paul leaves? Well, in light of the threats to the future of this church, Paul spends time. He spends time preparing them for life without his leadership. And those of us here this morning, uh, we may very well be looking at the world around us, uh, looking at the threats that are rising from outside of the church, the threats that are even rising from within the church. And we may wonder if the church will survive the changes that we are already seeing in our culture or that may come. Uh, you know, and generation after generation of Christians, you know, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes uh, during Sunday school, so I have all this in my mind, but generation after generation of Christians, uh, we come and we go as we await the return of our Lord who called us his own, who purchased us with his blood. And each generation wonders what will become of the church during and especially after their lifetime. You know, it's it's natural, right? It's natural to see the changes around us and to wonder, well, what's going to happen to the church? You know, we wonder what will happen to the church when we depart. Uh, We wonder if the next generation will remain faithful. We we wonder if there will be a recognizable church when our generation has all gone home to be with the Lord. Well, in Acts chapter 20, Paul provides us with a a blueprint uh, for a faithful departure uh, with his actions and with his words. And since we also desire to see God's church continue after our own generation departs, uh, we need to pay careful attention to his words today. And so this morning, uh, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we'll spend just a few minutes looking at uh, five commitments of those who are rehearsing for a faithful departure. And as we turn our attention to our passage this morning, uh, the first thing that we find is Paul reviewing and reflecting on his ministry in Ephesus. So I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 again for us. Uh, They say this. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. As our passage begins, Paul gathers the Ephesian elders at Miletus as he awaits his ship that will take him on his way to Jerusalem. And as as Paul traveled from city to city, as he went proclaiming the gospel, he also appointed elders. Uh, He appointed men who would instruct and oversee and protect these new congregations. And here, as he waits for his ship, Paul sends for the elders in the Ephesian church. And when they've gathered, uh, Paul begins to kind of reflect on, to to recount his ministry and his life among them. Uh, Paul tells us that while he was in Ephesus, he served the Lord uh, with all humility. And this is a theme in the life of Paul. Uh, He views himself, he views his work as service to his Lord. Um, In his letters to the churches, he frequently calls himself the slave or the servant of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul reminds the Ephesian elders here that he has served the Lord with humility during his time among them. And he appeals to them uh, their own knowledge of him as, as witnesses of this truth. Uh, he also reminds them that he has served the Lord with his tears during his time with them. Paul, Paul was no disinterested guest speaker when he was in Ephesus. You know, he was passionately invested in his work as he worried and wept for the souls of the lost, as he uh, worried and wept for, for growth and sanctification for those who were found. You know, Paul calls on the Ephesian elders to remember that he faithfully modeled humble and passionate service to the Lord during his time with them. And then he adds that he served with trials. You know, everywhere that Paul went, uh, Paul and his message were opposed uh, by the Jews and at times by the Gentiles as well. And this has been the case ever since he's, his conversion on the road to Damascus. And yet in spite of this opposition to himself, in spite of the opposition to the message of the gospel, he tells us that he didn't shrink back from this task. Uh, he didn't let the fierce opposition that he faced cause him to withdraw from the mission um, in an effort to protect himself. He continued to preach and to teach everything that was profitable for their salvation and for their growth and godliness. Uh, beginning with the message of the gospel of repentance for sin and faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles. He kind of gives us a summary of his message. He came preaching repentance for sin and faith in Jesus Christ as the place where we will find our salvation. Um, and as Paul begins his final speech to the leaders of the Ephesian church, as he prepares them uh, for his departure, he begins by reminding these leaders of the church of his faithful ministry to them and to their city. And then in verses 22 through 27, Paul explains once again his reasons for departing. Uh, let me read those verses again for us. They say, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God, and now behold, I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here, Paul kind of walks through his reasons for departing again. And Paul tells us that his main reason for returning to Jerusalem is that he believes that the Holy Spirit is direct, directing him to go to Jerusalem. And we, we've seen this throughout Paul's ministry and uh, his missionary journeys. Uh, there have been times when Paul has said, told us that you know, he wanted to go to, to one particular city. He wanted to go in one particular direction with the gospel, but the Holy Spirit sent him in another direction. Uh, and, and if you remember back in Acts 19, in Acts 19, verse 21, uh, we read these words. It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying... After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So we found out in Acts chapter 19 that Paul has begun to feel like the Spirit is leading him to go back to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. And so now as he prepares to depart, uh, Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that it is the Holy Spirit guiding him uh, to return to Jerusalem, even though he is aware of the danger that awaits him there. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul leaves Jerusalem and begins his work as a missionary because the religious leaders of Jerusalem, um, they had decided to kill him. You know, Paul, Paul isn't certain of the exact results of his trip, uh, but he tells us, and he tells them that 
the Holy Spirit has assured him that he will face affliction and imprisonment anywhere that he goes. You know, the reason that Jerusalem is a dangerous city for Paul is the same reason that Paul was in danger in Antioch and Lystra and Philippi and everywhere else he's been. The reason that these cities are dangerous for Paul is he comes bringing the message of the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ and hope and, and repentance for sinners. And here in verses 25 to 27, Paul tells them that as he leaves, he knows that he'll never see them again, uh, but he can leave with a clear conscience because he has faithfully proclaimed the full counsel of God. Uh, you know, like the watchman in Ezekiel 33, kind of warning the people when the enemies approach, Paul has faithfully warned them of the coming punishment for sin, and he has told them of the hope that sinners can find in the forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul has completed his mission in Ephesus, and now it's time for him to continue on to Jerusalem. And, and as long as Paul is faithfully preaching the gospel, Affliction and imprisonment is waiting for him. He tells them he knows that. He's not worried about Jerusalem. It happens everywhere. But he continues his mission because he values completing his mission more than he values his own life. Or as uh, one of the commentators, Daryl Buck, he, he explains it. He says, Paul does not need to be certain where he is going or what he shall face to be faithful to God. He need only carry out his ministry. You know, in, the, in these verses... Uh, Paul prepares them for his departure by explaining to the Ephesian elders, who certainly care deeply uh, for Paul, he explains that what matters to Paul is not what happens to him in Jerusalem, but that he accomplished the Lord's mission for him. And then in verses 28 to 35, uh, Paul prepares these elders for his departure by giving them two final instructions. And uh, we're going to look at the first instruction um, first, uh, verses 28 to 32. So I'm going to read 28 through 32. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so here, here in these verses, Paul tells the Ephesian elders to guard God's flock, uh, to watch over the church in Ephesus. And, and Paul tells them that guarding God's flock uh, begins with paying attention to their own hearts. Uh, whenever, whenever I talk to parents about helping their children grow in their faith, I always begin by saying that the most important thing that a parent can do uh, to help their child grow in their faith is to grow in their own. Um, I, I call it trickle-down faithonomics. Uh, for those of you who remember trickle-down economics, uh, trickle-down faithonomics. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are great ways, um, there are great tools to help our children learn and to grow uh, but it begins with seeing their parents learning and growing. And so if the church in Ephesus is going to be healthy, then its leaders must remain healthy by keeping watch on their own hearts, by keeping watch on their own behavior, by, by keeping watch on their own doctrine. You know, in, in the books of Timothy um, and Titus, you know, Paul lays out high standards for the men who will serve the church as overseers, as, as elders, as shepherds. And here he calls these men to keep a careful watch over themselves, to be, to be fighting against and repenting of their sins. 
uh, to be studying and learning the truths of Scripture so that they can teach the people faithfully, so that they can correct false teaching when it comes. You know, Paul understood that if the elders were to be successful in guarding God's people, then they must pay careful attention to their own hearts first. And so he begins by telling them to guard the flock by paying careful attention to themselves. And then he moves on, he goes on and he tells them to guard the flock by paying careful attention to all the people, to all the flock. And, and why should they guard the flock? Well, uh, because the people are God's people. They are purchased with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, who is this sacrificial lamb and the good shepherd who loves his sheep. And so the people in their care are precious to God. So the elders pay careful attention to the flock because they are precious to God. And because Paul warns that after his departure, fierce wolves will come in among them. Paul knows from experience that after he leaves a city, false teachers show up. Uh, they will come, they will try to create a following for themselves, and they will lead the people astray. And so he describes them as fierce wolves. Uh, if you are a sheep, the news that fierce wolves are showing up among you is bad news. Um, they aren't here to help, right? And so the elders, the overseers, the caretakers, um, they're called on to pay careful attention to the flock because they are precious to God. Uh, because Paul warns that after his departure, fierce wolves will come in among them. Um, and because, because Paul tells them that if they're not diligent to pay careful attention to themselves, even some of these men who are gathered to hear Paul may in time become false teachers, speaking twisted words and drawing others away after them. And so in light of these warnings about the dangers that they will face in his absence, Paul tells them to stay alert, uh, to, to stay vigilant, to be aware of the dangers that are a threat to their own hearts and to the dangers that pose a threat to the hearts of their people. And he tells them to admonish the people, to, to instruct and to warn the people that God has placed in their care when they see these dangers approaching, just as Paul has done for the past three years. You know, as, as Paul prepares to leave this church behind, he entrusts a big role. He entrusts this heavy role of guarding the flock to the elders of the church. But then in verse 32, uh, we hear him entrust these elders and their difficult task to God and to God's powerful word that will sustain them in this work and keep them until the day they receive their eternal inheritance as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You know, in, in his first instruction to the elders, Paul Paul instructs the elders to pay careful attention as they guard the flock while, while he also entrusts these men and entrusts their efforts to God. And then in his second instruction to the elders, Paul tells them to care for the weak among them. He tells them to care for the weak among them. I'm going to read verses 33 through 35 again. And where Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As I was studying this passage this week and you know, thinking about how to preach on this passage, uh, you, know, you read the first instruction, you're like, wow, that's really heavy and deep. And then you read the second one, you're going, Paul, why not flip this? You know, if I was putting together a lecture, I'd, I'd flip it. I'd go from care for the weak, and then I'd do the really heavy thing second. Uh, well, here Paul gives us this instruction to care for the weak as his last words to the Ephesian elders. 
And one of the reasons that Paul does this is because he was frequently accused uh, by his detractors of being after the people's money. Um, and so he takes time here to defend himself, and he's, he does this in other letters that he writes to the church as well. Uh, several of his letters to the church, he, he reminds them of how he didn't take a cent when he was with them, how he supported himself by working hard. But, but more importantly, when you, when you read the Old Testament, uh, when you read the story of Jesus and the Gospels, you realize that care for the poor and care for the weak and care for the fatherless and for the widow is close to the heart of God. And so Paul instructs them to follow his example of humbly working hard and providing for others, especially those for those who are in need, um, because that was not the culture of the day. Um, the, if you were in need, if you were weak and helpless, and you didn't have a family to protect you, you were out of luck. And so it was very... Um, uh, it's a very unique characteristic of the Christian faith that they care for the weak in their society. And so Paul reemphasizes this as an incredibly important thing to this church in Ephesus. And having concluded his instructions to the elders, we read of Paul's difficult departure. I'm going to read these final verses for us. This is verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. They would not see his face again, and they accompanied him on the ship. You know, in, in my family, uh, when a visit has come to an end and someone is leaving, we do uh, what we call the smile and wave. I'm sure some of your families have something similar, right? Um, you go outside. This is with the smile and wave. You go outside. They get in their car, and then you're required to smile and wave until you can no longer see the car. Uh, that, is, that is our family's procedure uh, for, for, for departure. Um, but the reality is that departures look different when you know it's for the last time. It looks different. Now, when, we, when you go, like, hey, I'll see you at Christmas, it's a happy departure. You smile and wave. But when you know it's the last time, it looks different. And we see that on display here. Uh, they all kneel down. Uh, Paul prays for them. Uh, they weep and they embrace knowing that it's for the last time this side of heaven. And Often, people portray Paul as a, a difficult person, uh, you know, someone who, uh, who cares more about theology than people. Uh, but here in this moving picture of the outpouring of sorrow and the embracing uh, brought on by Paul's imminent departure, uh, we see a different side of the Apostle Paul. Um, the, the overwhelming sadness at his departure proves his words uh, regarding how he lived a sacrificial life, how he lived a sacrificial ministry among them. And in Paul's words and his farewell um, to the Ephesian elders prove his love for them. And so in our passage this morning, Paul is preparing the Ephesian church. Uh, he's preparing them for his departure as he begins his journey to Jerusalem. And, and he's doing this because he knows the challenges. Uh, he knows the challenges that they will face in his absence. And so he lovingly and faithfully prepares them for his departure. Uh, this morning, you know, like Paul, we recognize many of the dangers uh, that are facing God's church from within the church and from outside of the church. Uh, we know what it is uh, to wonder if the church will survive the challenges that uh, we are already facing in our culture or the ones that we haven't even seen yet. Well, since we, just like Paul, uh, since we desire to see God's church continue after our own generation departs, uh, we're going to spend just a few more minutes and we're going to look at the five commitments uh, that we learn from Paul in this passage of those rehearsing for a faithful departure. And, and the first commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure 
is to commit to serving Christ. To commit to serving Christ. In verses 17 through 21, uh, we get a picture of what a life spent serving Jesus Christ instead of ourselves looks like. Uh, You and I, we live in a culture dedicated to serving ourselves. Uh, We live in a culture dedicated uh, to never submitting our wills or our thoughts or our desires to to anyone. Um, And so if we desire... If we desire to prepare to faithfully depart, uh, then we must grow in our understanding, um, in our willingness to serve Jesus Christ uh, selflessly. Uh, A life of serving Jesus Christ means humbly submitting our own will and our own self-interest to the will of the Savior. Uh, A life of serving Jesus Christ means uh, caring about the things that God cares about. You know, Paul sheds tears for the lost. He sheds tears as he prays for the protection and the growth of the church. You know, and so a life of serving Christ means accepting uh, a life filled with trials that come as a result of our faithfulness to Jesus and our faithfulness to his word. And so if we desire to prepare to faithfully depart, uh, then we must grow in our understanding, we must grow in our willingness to serve Jesus Christ um, at the risk of our own interest. And so the, the first commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to serving Christ. Uh, The second commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to completing the mission. Uh, We commit to completing the mission. Uh, Like the Apostle Paul, uh, we must commit to fulfilling the mission and refuse to shrink back in the fear of what the mission may cost us. Uh, The church of Jesus Christ must continue to preach the whole counsel of God. We must preach the bad news that to disobey God is sin, that our holy God will punish this sin. Um, and even though sin comes easily and naturally to us, it's still sin. It's still an offense to God that deserves punishment. So we, we have to commit to preaching the bad news. Uh, we have to commit to preaching the good news of the gospel. That through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for those who confess their sins and place their faith in him. Uh, we must commit to preaching all that is required, all that is profitable for salvation and for growth and holiness. And we consider, you know, as, as we consider what it means to, to faithfully prepare to depart, you know, let us be able to say that we are innocent of the blood of those around us uh, because we have warned them of the coming judgment against sin and because we have proclaimed the way of forgiveness and salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the second commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to completing the mission, uh, to continue proclaiming the whole counsel of God The third commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to watching over our own lives. Uh, To commit to watching over our own lives. You know, if if we desire to live faithfully and and to faithfully depart, then we need to keep a close watch on our own hearts, uh, to keep a close watch on our own doctrine. Uh, We need to be alert to the power and the temptation of sin so that we can resist that sin when temptation comes. Uh, We must make use of God's word and God's people. Uh, as we strive to keep watch over our hearts, as we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ as we daily fight against sin, uh, we, may, we must pay careful attention to our hearts. Uh, we need to pay careful attention to keep watch over our doctrine, over the things that we believe. Um, and, and one of the best ways to do this, uh, especially in our day and age, is to be careful who we listen to. Uh, be careful who we listen to. Uh, I did not grow up in the... PCA, I didn't grow up in our denomination. Uh, one of my favorite things about our denomination 
is that every pastor in, in, our, in the PCA was required to spend oh, three to four years. Some of us made it 10, uh, but it's been at least three to four years you know, at an approved seminary learning and studying. And then they have to pass hours of exams covering all kinds of topics uh, given by committees and even in front of all the other elders in the presbytery before they are ordained as a pastor. Um, it's, it's not a perfect system, but for the most part, you know what you're getting uh, from a pastor in our denomination. Uh, but technology has opened the door uh, for us to learn from teachers and preachers from all over. And sometimes that's a great thing. Uh, there are wonderful teachers out there. Uh, but I'll tell you that Twitter and Instagram and, and other social media platforms don't have the same standards uh, for those who can call themselves a preacher. Um, it's, it's too easy for someone to set themselves up as a biblical authority on social media and to then lead, lead others away from the truth. Uh, there are some on social media who are misleading people because they're misled themselves. Uh, there are some on social media who are misleading people on purpose to create a following, to gain money and influence. Uh, there are some on social media who are wonderful teachers, um, helping us to understand God's word better. Uh, it requires discernment. It requires discernment, um, carefulness, uh, watchfulness over who we learn from. Um, as you watch over your doctrine, be careful of who you're listening to, who you're learning from. And so the third commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is commit to watching over your own lives, um, both our hearts um, and our doctrine, the things that we believe. Uh, the fourth commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to watching over God's flock, uh, to commit to watching over God's flock. And this commitment is especially uh, for the officers of the church. Uh, we all do this. Uh, we, we just read True Community. We learned about how we, uh, as just members of the church, we watch over one another. Uh, we uh, we uh, challenge one another when we see sin. We encourage one another. Um, but we also know in this passage that Paul is really specifically addressing the officers of the church. Uh, we are called on by Paul to remain alert, uh, to be aware of the dangers that are facing um, that, are, that are rising to face the church from inside of the church and from outside of the church. Uh, we are called on by Paul to admonish the church, to, to warningly instruct the church when we see these dangers approaching. Uh, we are to take seriously Paul's instructions to care for the physically and the spiritually needy among us. Uh, we, we are called to diligently watch over the blood-bought flock uh, that is precious to God. And so that's the fourth commitment. Uh, the fourth commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to watching over God's flock. Uh, the fifth commitment of those rehearsing for a faithful departure is to commit to entrusting the future of God's flock to the guidance and protection of God and his word. I'll read that again because all the other ones are short and this one's suddenly really long. All right, so the fifth commitment is to commit to entrusting the future of God's flock to the guidance and protection of God and his word. Uh, in verse 32, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, Paul entrusts these elders and the difficult task that he has put on them. He entrusts them to God and to God's powerful word that will sustain them in this work, uh, that will keep them until the day they receive their eternal inheritance as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You know, as, as, as we read the first four commitments, it's easy to be kind of intimidated by them. Um, as an officer in the church, I, don't, I would have preached something else. I would have loved to preach something else this morning, but this is what the Bible says. 
Uh, when I was writing the sermon, I almost called it five challenges from Paul instead of five commitments. You know, it's kind of wrestling with the language here. Uh, but the question when you're challenged to do something is often, you know, will I do it? You know, will we do this? Will we rise to meet this challenge? And that's not really the question in this text. The question when you commit to something, especially uh, when you commit to a difficult task, is how do we do it? You know, how do we do this thing that's put before us? Uh, you know, very rarely in our modern culture do we make vows. Uh, but when we do, it's because whatever we're committing to is difficult. You know, the commitments that we're called to make in this passage by Paul's example and by his words, they're not easy commitments. They're difficult. And that's why verse 32 is so important for us. Um, as Paul prepares to depart, he entrusts difficult tasks to faithful but imperfect people. And knowing this, Paul entrusts these imperfect but faithful people to their perfect God and to his word that is powerful for our salvation, for our growth and godliness, and for our preservation. You know, as, as we seek to prepare for our own uh, faithful departure, you know, we pursue these important commitments faithfully, though imperfectly. And when we do this, we model trust, we model reliance on God. We model reliance on his word. Uh, we, we model reliance on the forgiveness that we find in him to the next generation to see. Um, so as we live out, you know, our good desire to see the church continue in its mission uh, from generation to generation as we await the return of our Lord, you know, we entrust our own efforts uh, to faithfully keep these commitments. Uh, we entrust the future of God's flock uh, to the only one who perfectly loves his church and gave himself for her and who powerfully saves us and sustains us through his